Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. You're probably familiar with animal species that are rare or endangered, and about steps being taken to protect them for future generations. We don't hear much, though, about rare plants. Yet, there are trees, shrubs, vines, wildflowers, ferns, mosses, plants of one kind or another that are only found in a small geographic range, or where there are only a small number of individual plants. Scientists have created ranks to evaluate the rarity of a plant. These are called G-ranks and range from G1, which is a plant that is critically imperiled, to G2, imperiled, G3, vulnerable, G4, apparently secure, and G5, secure. The secure rank is for plants that are abundant and widespread. These ranks are used to classify plants using the best available data on plant populations. According to the U.S. Forest Service website, there are 8,840 rare plants in the United States, which is about one-third of all the native flora in the U.S. 764 of these plants are listed as endangered under the Endangered Species Act and must be given protection. On the program today, we visit Anna Strong, a rare plants botanist at Texas Parks and Wildlife, to learn firsthand about the world of rare plants. I asked Anna how she first got interested in plants. My dad uh, was a botanist. Uh, he worked for an organization called the Rare Plant Studies Center in the 70s. In, uh, from UT Austin, it was run by Marshall Johnston. And um, he did that up until about the time my brother was born in 1975, uh, but continued to be interested in plants far beyond that. Uh, he got a master's in botany, so he wanted to instill upon his children his, his interest, which worked <laughs> because both of his children got uh, undergrads in botany. Really? Yeah. Um, so what kinds of things did he do? It was mostly hiking, a lot of hiking and, you know, showing us plants. He had native species in the yard. It was pretty early on in the um, 70s, certainly 80s and even 90s to work with native plants in your garden. But he also, we would go to national parks all over the west mostly, but sometimes the east. And we'd spend two weeks camping and looking at plants there too. Let's have you define how you designate a plant as rare. What, what Are there certain parameters that are mm -hmm. required? Yeah, what are those? So uh, throughout the nation and in Texas, we use nature serve conservation ranks. It's a ranking system that uh, is, is a global rank. So it looks at these species on a global perspective as well as a state perspective. But we track things that are um, classified as G1 to G3, and that means a, a, obviously a global rank. So G1 to G3 means a global one to a global three. And that is things that are very rare to semi-rare. So um, G1 is the most rare? Correct. Okay. And so a G5 would be something that is the most common. There are only five ranks. 
And uh, more recently, we use something called a rank calculator, and it is a more defensible way of producing a rank for all of these species and requires knowing information that we've always needed to know to rank species, but before it was more expert opinion based. Um, although they did incorporate some of the same terminology and mm -hmm. system. So but, there are certain standards or things that must be met to Yeah, uh, so you have to know a certain amount of information. Um, you can have a GU, which would be basically a global rank of unknown if you oh. don't know enough about a species. Um, but if you have enough information, um, the information you would need would be how many populations there are, how many individuals within a year f for all of those populations, at least a range, um, what the threats are to that population, how it is geographically distributed across uh, a region, that kind of stuff. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm here today with Anna Strong, who is a rare plants botanist at the Texas Parks and Wildlife. And uh, you were just telling us about how you designate a plant as rare using these different uh, categories, can we call it? Or, sure. Okay. Um, so is, is a rare plant the same as an endangered or threatened plant? No, in our terminology, threatened and rare um, is a federal or a state designation. We call, in our program, we actually call them species of greatest conservation need. Okay. But an easy way to say that is rare, because we only track things that are of these particular conservation status ranks. Okay. Um, rare is more of an informal term. Um, I use it a lot because a lot of people don't know what an SGCN is. Um, it's I don't a lot know what of that is. yeah. Well, a species of greatest conservation <laughs> oh, need okay. is also hard to say. Right, right. <laughs> so when you're talking to most people, it's easiest to just say rare. Okay. Um, but federal and state designations, that's a threatened or an endangered okay. species. So usually I don't use those terms because we're talking about the whole group, mm -hmm. which includes far more than just those things that are state listed or federally listed. And because there's only 32 state and federally listed plants, there's something like 450 rare plants in the state of Texas. Oh, really? Yeah. So then a threatened or endangered would be even even fewer of those exist? Is that Not necessarily. No. Um, so just there is not necessarily a one-to-one -one correlation with endangered and with the uh, G1 rank, which would be the most uh, rare of the state conservation ranks. But a global rank of one there are 80-ish of those in the state of Texas. Oh. There are, I don't know, something like 20 endangered species in the state of Texas, just because something is not listed federally or by the state doesn't mean it's just as rare as some of those things that are on the endangered mm -hmm. species list. And that's just because uh, it's difficult to get some of these things listed. Okay. So there, you said there are 80 rare, most rare? Most rare, 80, G, 90, G1, somewhere in there. which is most rare. Correct. Plants. 
What what are those? Can you talk about some of them? What are like? Give us some examples of a rare. Sure. Or a couple. Uh, do you want to know the listed of the federally listed ones, no, the, or well, just any one. of them? Yeah, either one. Ones that you work with. So one of the species that I work with, which is now um, up for, we have proposed a list of species for state listing that is outside the federal list. And one of those species is generically called brush pea. <laughs> its scientific name is Genestidium dumosum. It's a legume or a bean. Oh. It occurs out in West Texas. We know of one population and we classify a population based on how far the plants are from one another so basically all the known plants in the united states of the species are within one kilometer of one another um, it is in an arid region and in a topographically challenging region it's in a private lands region so all of these things um, should be taken into consideration but uh, we only know of one population in the United States. It is known uh, in Mexico. At least one population is known in Mexico. But um, it's, you know, about a foot and a half tall. Um, it loses all, all of its leaves during um, extended drought periods, which happens a lot in sure. West Texas. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it has a cute little yellow pea flower, like the ones you would see in your garden. Except yeah yellow and it produces some kind of pod or it, it produces a little tiny bean that's maybe an inch long is um, it edible or that i don't know yeah <laughs> i don't i don't tend to eat very no. many rare <laughs> probably not a good idea <laughs> yeah um maybe tasting them yeah uh we haven't seen i have not personally seen that many fruits on the plant yeah um so how how do you make sure if this is the only known uh, location for this plant, how do you make sure that it survives? And it's on private land, you said? Most of how I may affect protection for plants is getting to know private landowners and educating private landowners about the rare species they have on their property. Um, this particular plant, since it's not federally listed, has no protections, really. Mm. Federal protections don't uh, protect the plants much in general. So uh, unless you're getting federal funding from the government, uh, you can pretty much do anything you want with even endangered really? plants. Mm -hmm. um, and that is true across the United States, except for if there are other state laws that may protect a plant more. In, in Texas, that is not the case. In Texas, if a plant is state listed, that means that we cannot sell a plant without a commercial permit. But beyond that, a, a landowner is able to bulldoze anything they want, even if it is rare. Yeah. Um, but for these other spe for these species that are not state or federally listed, just uh, education, um, speaking about the importance of having biodiversity in an environment, and hopefully that reflects as more appreciation for their land and the species on it, instead of feeling like 
the state or the the feds are going to come in and tell them what what to do. do. I want landowners to do whatever they want with their property, but I also want to instill appreciation for this absolutely awesome thing that they have that not a lot of people have. And there are definitely landowners that um, desire that, that almost request it in some way. They want us to find more and more rare plants or animals on their property just because they think it's cool. Sure. And then they're more likely, you think, to protect those. And be better land stewards, I would think. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm talking with Anna Strong, who is a rare plants botanist at Texas Parks and Wildlife. Right now, it's time for a break. We're back now. Uh, You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm here today with Anna Strong, who is a rare plants botanist at Texas Parks and Wildlife. Do you have any other uh, sort of favorite plants that you found or are interested in protecting? (laughs) I have a lot of favorite plants. (laughs) Okay, well, tell us about some. Um, One of the other species, these are on my mind since we just recently went to the commission and proposed that state, uh, the state list be extended beyond the federally listed species. So one of the species is um, called Areocolon kernikianum, or small-headed pipewort. Um, It occurs in uh, a couple different locations in the state. It's got a much wider distribution comparative to brush pea. Um, It occurs in Gillespie County around Enchanted Rock, and then also in sort of northeast central Texas. Um, But it also occurs all the way to Georgia. And it's... um, It looks like a blade of grass if it's not in flower. Um, it's about, I like small plants maybe, um, it's about four or five inches tall and it has this flower cluster. Why it's called small-headed pipewort right. is it's a pipewort, but it has these little flower heads that are maybe a third of an inch across. And so finding them obviously can be challenging. Like it can be tough, yeah. <laughs> Um, which so in some it ways grow amongst other grasses and it is uh, it can be a bog plant or a seep plant so it occurs usually with other um, sedges that kind of plant because um, it's its roots want to be in the water they want to be wet so are there any that you've uh, or that you know about that have actual medicinal value that you've found or that you know about so one of the plants, not necessarily medicinal value, but it is an economic value uh, that I've been working on recently, is a species that uh, has been petitioned for listing. Um, it is called Shinner's Sunflower. It's a meter, meter and a half tall. It looks like a basic sunflower. Um, it's got basal rosette of leaves and very few stem leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, if you drive along the highway, the way to recognize it, which you can kind of do, one of the few species that I can look out the window and oh. see as I drive by. <laughs> um, it has a yellow center with yellow petals. And the, the stem, uh, the bolting stem, bolted stem, 
has almost no leaves on it. So just a little easier to see than. And how tall is it? Um, meter. A meter. Uh, meter so two, three feet. Yeah. It's pretty tall. It is. It can be taller, but right. the one, they're generally around three feet. Yeah. It has, so sunflowers in general have been more studied than a lot of plants because uh, they are in the genus Helianthus and we uh, have a crop, uh, Helianthus annuus, or the common sunflower that we use for um, seed. seed, oil, right. um, food. Right. And it was tried for biofuels for a while, although I don't think that that's worked out so well. Um, <laughs> But in general, the Helianthus as a group has been more widely studied. And so one of the things that they've looked at other species to cross with the common sunflower are pest resistance. And so this particular species, Schindler's sunflower, has a, a chemical that, that it has an oil that deters insect uh, herbivory insect eating the plant oh, okay. so wow. um i don't think that that has been um i'm not sure how well studied that is but i do know that for a long time they were looking in the 90s or so for species of any kind for of helianthus to uh, cross with helianthus annuus the common sunflower to find pest resistance right and this was one of those plants. Right. Yeah. So um, in what ways are rare plants important to the ecosystem of the world? You know, uh, every species has its own aesthetic value, its own um, internal value. The, every species is a part of a puzzle that is probably a puzzle we will never be able to really see. Um, but in that sense, if we take away part of the puzzle, we don't know what will cause uh, a negative reaction as a whole. So the ecosystem, there's a, there is a need for every species out there. It has created through evolution and possibly millions of years um, a niche for itself, and it has interactions with many other species around it that we may not even know about because we don't even really study things like microbes. Um, we don't have rare microbes yet. No, that's true. <laughs> Although there probably yeah. are some. Sure. Um, but every species has its own purpose. So... Um, and some of it we don't know. but Much of it we don't know. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the things that hinders our program is how little we know um, about a lot of these species. We may know that we don't have very many of them, but that's just brushing the surface on what you can know about any one species. Yeah. So we need more rare plant botanists. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, more seriously, so uh, how is, is, is climate change have any effect on I mean, they have, it has an effect on plants, and I'm sure it has an effect on rare plants. Is that something you've seen or can talk about? 
I haven't seen it with my own eyes, um, but I do f any of the rare plants that occur on the Chisos Mountains, in the Chisos Mountains in Big Bend National Park are at their highest, the, the highest, highest elevation that they can be at. Um, they may not occur at any lower elevation. And so if those high points become warmer or drier or the rain patterns change in a drastic way, they may not, may not be able to persist there. And the same is true in a more drastic sense for coastal species. There are a couple coastal species that are at the lowest elevation they can be. And if we have a rise in seawater, there will be no more populations of those plants because they will be inundated. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm here with Anna Strong, who is a rare plants botanist at Texas Parks and Wildlife. Um, I wanted to ask, what are some of the most difficult challenges you face in your work? We have a very small program. Um, there are six biologists, maybe seven. And we each oversee a group of species. Um, there are two botanists, but uh, we also have a rare plant community list that is on our Texas Conservation Action Plan, where all of the species of greatest conservation need are listed. Um, so he works mostly on these rare plant communities, although he does do some work on rare plants because there is an overlap with those two things. Right. And this is a, another botanist. This is another botanist. Um, however, having one person oversee 450 plants or one person oversee 250 rare plant communities is quite a task. Um, and with especially a state the size of Texas, um, it is very challenging. I mean, we can really just scrape the surface of being able to, to research, protect, oversee these species. You may be wondering whether you and I, the average person, can help, perhaps by trying to propagate rare plants in our gardens. To me, that's a controversial topic because, yes, if it's done correctly, but in most cases, it's an opportunistic thing, and just throwing seeds out on the landscape, I don't think is necessarily a positive thing for a plant. And that um, happens when uh, so locally adapted populations of a plant have different adaptations than something that occurs in another area, right? And so if those two things mm -hmm. get together and interbreed, you may be decreasing the adaptations of one population while possibly increasing the adaptations of another. And we don't know that until we look at the genetics of those populations. Um, and usually we're looking at how genetically diverse something is versus depauperate. Um, so you may be inadvertently choosing from a population that is a not well adapted population and spreading it across the landscape, interbreeding with ones that have high genetic diversity and decreasing those their uh. ability to persist in the environment. I think that there are things that anybody interested in gardening um, can do. Um, one of those 
is requires data collection. And so if you're willing to figure out how to propagate a rare species and write down the protocol for propagating that species in a detailed way, that will help in the future if, for example, a species needs to be reintroduced. And so when we do know where to put what and when, then we can know how to do it more effectively. If you have rare plants on your property and you know it and you're interested in really helping out, one uh, amazing thing to do would be to track those plants and that population. And I'd be more than willing to walk somebody through what the best methodology would be to, to get data that was usable and informative for um, learning more about the biology of the plant. It could be as simple as setting up game cameras on your property with a rare plant and seeing what visits it, either pollinators or herbivores. Um, or it could be more involved where you track individual plants through time and say, what did they do this year? Did they flower? Yeah. Um, Etc. If you're interested in learning more about rare plants, there's a lot of information on the internet. Some great sites to search are the U.S. Forest Service and the Texas Parks and Wildlife sites. I hope you've enjoyed our program. Thanks for listening. Please tell your friends about this program and come back again for more amazing sustainable living news with me, Salwa Khan, on Mothering Earth.